Welcome to Robot Friends, a podcast that actively harms its audience. Episode 16, Eigenrobot vs. Chaos. Chaos, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> That's a fine question, Eigen. I, I, I don't know. What, what, in fact, are we the fuck doing? Uh, yeah. I, so context for everybody. We were just talking about how we've maybe talked ourselves into a state of, I don't know, complete immobility. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe we understand some things and we understand why things are the way they are. But like, the fuck do we do about this? Yeah, and like which things are actually worth doing, which which you know which fences you know should not be dismantled, which should. Um, like, I, I feel like like okay, Chapman has talked about this when he talks about you know how the you know Zogchen people and so on have the problem of they spend a lot of time sitting around. Like uh-huh. they've, they've they've gotten their non dual perspective. They're able to see like you know like polydimensional sides of of every issue uh, to the point where. You know, it's it's really hard to 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 get into like you know the nice object level mindset of like you know I'm I'm bothered by this thing I'm going to go out and I'm going to you know I'm going to change this thing about the world I'm going to make the world better by you know beating on this thing, um, and you know you you yeah you know, like get enough of that good perspective stuff going and it can be easy to see like how you know the thing that offends you is actually useful and productive or that, you know, the people who are doing stuff that are bothering you are just responding to the incentives that they have in their, their environment. And, you know, why shouldn't they get to do that just the same as you do? So yeah, it's, you know. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's paralyzing. I mean, I've spent a lot of the last year mad at different people and institutions, and I can really see what's wrong with them and why they are the way they are. But it feels like there's so much built up in perpetuating these these institutions that are bad in various ways that they're really quite self-reinforcing. And I, you know, everybody who's in these positions of power that reinforce the positions of power are, I, I don't know, it seems very difficult. And, and there are, you know, I think the, the like really small brain view is why don't these people in power just fix things? But <laughs> But like, not only are they not interested in doing that, I think there are lots of invisible constraints. Yeah, absolutely. Such... Generally, the answer is that if they did, they would stop being in power. Yeah. You know, they have incentives too. So how does anything ever change? That's a fine question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well, I mean, the incentives shift. And, you know, how does that fucking happen? Incentives, how, how do they work? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean... I don't know. When I think about ways that people have managed to change the world. So like, it seems like it's usually in response to really large scale changes happening. So you had the great depression and everything falling out of world war one. And that pretty much destroyed Europe, which, eh, you know, give or take whether it was good, but at least some things changed sort of most, probably mostly for the worst. Uh, I need to think about that, but you know, um, some people flew a plane into a building and changed a lot. Uh-huh. Maybe, may, maybe not very much changed. Maybe that was just, you know, pre-existing trends continuing. I mean, how much did, did 9-11 actually change anything in the long term besides making it slightly shittier for everybody? Well, it seemed, 9-11 seemed to be largely an excuse for, you know, what was going to happen anyway. It was just yeah. like a bunch of a bunch of change built up and was ready to be deployed, but kind of needed something to kick it off to 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 make it seem reasonable to do this at this point and like as soon as like the 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 ball dropped it was like okay you know all this stuff that's barreling down that like largely has nothing to do with the actual event but like it was just like okay you know we've we've knocked things loose and now like all of the the tectonic shifts that were ready in society and culture could just happen yeah um, and yeah and, and I did, I, you know, on this topic of, of like, you know, how do things change? Like some little shit post just popped out of my brain like a day ago on this saying that like the, the best, you know, fictive analogy for, for radical social change isn't like any of these revolutionary narratives we get with like, you know, the, the hero defeating the grand villain and so on. It's ice nine. Um, it's yeah. Like, oh shit. Yeah. Like it's, it's this, this, 
you know, irresistible small scale change that keeps replicating itself until everything has to come into line with it. Um, and L, uh, who, who is here. Uh, hey. Hi, L. Uh, hey, L. Hey, hey, I can but I can, I can, sorry. Yes. Um, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we were talking about uh, like Europe and Asia and like how, you know, why exactly it was that Asia invented all of these these things like gunpowder and pr the printing press and so on. Right. But, you know, that, that Europe did later, but Asia didn't turn the world upside down with them. Um, like, you know, what's, what's up with that? Like, why did these things become Ice-9 in Europe and they didn't in Asia? Oh, yeah. yeah. My yeah. theory, if you would mind me sharing, is that uh, Asia tended to develop social technologies rather than physical technologies. Um, right. And Europe in a lot of ways seems to have had like more primitive social technologies. Yeah. Yeah. So they had to turn to the external world more for development of just civilization, culture, technology, everything. Whereas the uh, Asians focused on internal everything, internal change, internal martial arts, internal everything. And they used, they, they basically created like, the Dzogchen stuff we're talking about and like all sorts yeah. of other religions that dealt with the internal realities. And a lot of them you could argue were used to control people. I mean, I don't want to be that cynical, but, but, but yeah, you know, they were. And, you know, that's, you know, a, a perfect illustration of that is the, you know, the, the 19th century uh, British occult Renaissance that like was basically just, you know, upper-class British people just, just, getting incredibly horny for Asian social control technologies, in particular the Indian caste system. Um, oh, wait, they, the caste system was part of the occult reform or revolution. In yeah. I mean, that's, 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 I don't, I, I don't know if I can back this up at all, but that's very, much <laughs> no, no, that's fine. <laughs> it's, it's very much how it seems to me that like these, these guys are looking at this, this society that like is, is, you know, divided into, to, classes in a much more like like rigid and locked down and like people really buying into it way than than english society is and then they're like you know fuck yeah like we want to be brahmins we don't we, we don't just want to be toffs like you know yeah well that's interesting and i i, I mean my my initial response all when you said that the social technology that developed in in the east was maybe more i mean like more sophisticated than in the west I'm not entirely sure that's true. And I, I'm almost thinking that maybe a lot of Western social technologies like West of the Hajnal line in particular were, I don't know, sort of anti-social technologies. I mm. mean, you think about rather than having really large extended families and control being divided among, among these, you know, these clans, it seems like in Europe, there was a really concerted effort to break these things down. I mean, th there was a somewhat good, post or at least famous post claiming that you know the incentives that the church had in the the late roman empire to sort of break up families and you know it was a monetary incentive because they they often served as um you know holding stations for the wealth of widows which of which you know among the wealthy in rome there were lots of wealthy widows and yeah. the way that they were able to spend their wealth was pretty constrained by social convention um i i sort of wonder if it just went in different directions and and maybe almost the the eastern variant of cementing and, and exerting control through through say family structures and other social entities was almost i mean like a different technological bent and, and maybe maybe europe indulged in kind of an anti-technology in that way and in like promoting individualism Ugh. yeah it, it, it kind of seems like that where like the, the drive in Western culture generally seems to have been toward atomization. And, and also like, you know, the, the advancement that I was talking about in, in terms of, of Eastern social control technology seems to have been like developing new, like ways of delivering contentment, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Like, like kind of like inner peace and whatnot. Yeah. It's like the, the spiritual technologies of, of the West seem to have largely been driving toward excruciating people. Um, and I think we can say, you know, without fear of contradiction, that excruciating people gets results. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like atomizing and 
tormenting people like is a huge economic driver um like you know drives creativity to a massive degree um so are you pro or con <laughs> are, are you for or against ubi on these grounds huh <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. UBI. Um, well, huh. 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 Yeah. I don't know either. I feel like, I feel like at this point, like we can handle excruciating people. Like even if they, you know, are fed and housed, I think we're good enough at it. But like, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily need the, you know, the, the threat of like homelessness and starvation so much anymore. We've got the threat of cancellation instead. You know, we can work with that. Oh yeah. So like, that's interesting. So, so if that's okay, so maybe, maybe you can look at all of these systems as a series of incentive structures. And in the East, it was more like you need to conform socially in order to attain this contentment. And maybe that's something that's easier for people to do, you know, it's, it's maybe very difficult for an individual to become exceptionally skilled at a craft or to, you know, um, go and invent something new out of whole cloth and look at the world in a novel way. But, you know, if you could just kind of conform to things and not rock the boat and not piss off people who are making rules, that maybe people are just naturally better at that as social animals. Well, it seems like kind of just a lower bar in, in general. Like, yeah. You know, if, if, you know, there's a list of things that you should do and a list of things that you shouldn't do, like, you know, at least you have the option of following them. Like, you know, if, if the, the thing that you should do is like invent a new, you know, technology or, you know, a new emotion or, you know, a, a new way of looking at the world, like, well, what the fuck does that look like? How do you know when you're fucking doing that right? Um, that's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, just a, a different level of enterprise. Here's, here's something I'm thinking about. So I, and, and I say this with far less insight into, into various Eastern Oriental societies than, than I think you probably do. Do you, uh, do, do you imagine one, one thing that I think the West is relatively good at and has been doing a lot of over the last millennium, at least, if not for longer is inventing new kinds of guys. So <laughs> I, I was just talking, I mean this, I genuinely mean this though. Like the, you know, I was talking with, with Shay Levy earlier and, you know, I think there's this kind of Randian guy or that this kind of guy that Rand was trying to invent and trying to valorize. And before that, you know, we had like the, the new, the new like socialist man and, we had, you know, the enlightenment, you know, the philosoph and, and, and we had the Renaissance guy we and, the and we, we had the, the like schlub anti-hero. Um, yeah. Right before the anti-hero got corrupted to mean like hero villain, like it does now, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, like maybe, maybe what a big, I'm curious as to what kind of technologies you think, you know, some of these other, other social traditions have for creating and elevating and recycling different types of guy. Hmm. I know the Chinese do. And yeah. Jap the Asians in general, like have, I think adapted much more rapidly to technological change and integrated it into their culture more quickly than a lot of the West. Like that. And Mao and that era, the cultural revolution, and then transforming into, you know, with, uh, liberalization and all that they just went overnight from like totally stuck in these old social norms to like clamoring for more expansion and they could tolerate it much better than the west did do you think i do you think and again here i'm coming from a place of pretty profound ignorance i i could maybe see that as a function of their existing more incumbent types of guy in the west that might in some way or another be be sort of standing against I guess some of these changes are the like implementation and propagation of some of the changes that you mentioned. Although I could also tell a story about say with the cultural revolution that that is maybe the, uh, I don't know, like sort of a resurgence of a very old type of guy just gaining prominence. What would you call the cultural revolution type of guy? I don't know. Um, 
Yeah, maybe, maybe that was entirely new. Was, was there a conception in? May, may, I mean, maybe the Cultural Revolution was an attempt to like really come and valorize a new type of guy, you know? Like it seems, it seems like it, but like I don't know. It's it's hard to it's hard to tell with like Mao and whatnot because like there's there's so much like it seems like sneaky Confucianism in in yeah, like MLM. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe the Maoist type of guy is, is really a Confucian, you know, that is not clear to me. Well, yeah. a lot of anti-Confucian um, activity, you know, in, in the, uh, what, first half of the 20th century, um, in the mid, in the middle era. And like, uh, I know like in general, the changes were just viewed as more collective than as, you know, coming up with a type of guy that wouldn't be like all guys basically. So was was it then the Cultural Revolution an attempt to level types of guys? So we're only we're only gonna have one type of guy, and it's the, you know, communism with Chinese characteristics type of guy. It's interesting. Like the, know, re- the revolutionary I, worker right. is the new type of guy, and that's it. That's all we're gonna have. Well, I don't think that was really honest, but I think that was a lot of the ideology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There. I remember listening to. Uh... The search for oh, it was one of the one of the China books that I listened to recently. It struck me that there were a number of figures in in various points in the twentieth century in China where, you know, some of the major figures were really, I mean, they struck me as pretty Western, like very European, kind of Enlightenment, and and very liberal in that way in their approach and interpretation of Chinese society and their place in it. And I could see, I, I can see some of the things that Mao did as perhaps like being an effort to crush that type of guy and the incursion of that type of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, the, the whole like anti-academic thing that, you know, started off definitely seems like, you know, yeah. Oriented toward getting rid of these fancy uh western intellectual types of guy so i don't know do do you buy into this type of guy framework i think there's something here like there's some you know like i mean it goes it goes to you know i mean obviously we're we're being a little memey with the the nomenclature but like you know a general concept of of role modeling and and so on um and hmm I mean, like I, I could definitely go in, and this is coming from kind of a masculine perspective, which is just what I know best. But I, I think you could do something similar from, from a feminine archetype, you know, style. And you know, if you want to go like non, non gender binary, I'm sure you could do that too. Although that I have, in le- have even less perspective on. But you know, in the '80s, Schwarzenegger was a type of guy. Schwarzenegger was absolutely a type of guy, and. Yeah. There's also the Steve Dallas with his brain flip flopped kind of guy <laughs> where, you know, like having having a perm and being very sensitive and kind of male feministy. And I'm not sure whether that was an entirely new type of guy, but I have the impression that if someone if if it was being written about in Bloom County, that that was real. And there were a large number of those people often mogged on by 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 the Schwarzenegger characters in action movies, but still yeah. present. Yeah, I guess so. what would we call those now? Like soft boys. Yeah, soft boys. Like maybe kind of soy boys, although that that might be even more denigrate denigrating. <laughs> um, but oh, yeah, fem boys. You know, everybody likes fem boys. So. Yeah, no, I mean like fem. Well, I mean fem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that seems like a step further though. And outside of the the traditional masculine archetype at all, like like so far outside of the spectrum that it's like a, yeah, yeah. a masculine far group rather than well, it's like I mean when when you say femboy though, we're also kind of going toward like the shonen, which is like definitely very oh, yeah. recognizable as masculine. Um, oh, true, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, well, when when you're, you're talking about about you know women's perspectives too, like I, I think in a lot of ways, like like. 80s onward feminism has been like the effort to invent the girl boss type of guy and mm. like, actually a lot of 
you know, dissatisfaction that's been kind of welling up from the ground among women um, has, has been dissatisfaction with, you know, the demand that they be the girl boss type of guy. What kind of guy do you think Camel Paglia is? Ah, oh. uh-huh. wow. Huh. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. I'm thinking about her and Madonna in particular. Like, Madonna seems like she's pretty femme superficially, but she's also not trad femme. And she's, I mean, you know, she's a strong female character. Yeah. I mean, I I think, I think Madonna is, she's the, like, she's the high priestess type of guy. Um, Oh, sure. She's right out of the tarot deck. Um, Yeah. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. hmm. She's interesting. <laughs> maybe that okay, maybe that that's a good point. Taking this back to tarot. I mean, maybe types of guy are just reinventions of existing archetypes in slightly different cultural frames. I mean, I, I think it's gonna be a thing where like, you know people always want there to be like, you know, seven basic stories or nine basic stories and so on. And like, you know, if, if you look at things abstractly enough, everything is the same. And if you look at things concretely enough, everything is different. Yeah. Uh, so like, you know, if you, if you like file off the inconvenient edges, you can always find a way to reduce, you know, the type of guy to the previous type of guy, which has already been solved. Uh, but yeah, like, but I, I don't know. I, I, I think that like when people are, are, you know, remixing and, and rebuilding things that like, there's something, you know, there's, there's more just than that happening. Like there's, there's cycles and recurrences, but there's developments happening as part of the cycles and recurrences. Like yeah. There, like there's oscillation, but the oscillation is also going somewhere kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So where do you think things are going? I mean, just like taking a step back and looking at all types of guy, including female, et cetera, mm-hmm. they currently exist. What kind of a trend do you, do do you see any kind of a trend in types of guy? Hmm. And I I think like the, the trend, at least in, I don't know, mainstream Western culture has been, I think reasonably toward pluralism in types of guy. Yeah. Like, Like, I mean, ever, ever since like, you know, the rise of the middle class, you know, in, in the, the Renaissance and whatnot, uh, like we've been like kind of struggling to a, like establish space for more types of guy. Um, and I guess, you know, that, well, and that goes in a cycle too, because there's this, this, you know, continual push and pull of like, you know, Hey, let's, let's have more types of guy. And then like, you know, some, some type of guy asserts dominance and was like, okay, no, this is the type of guy to be. This is the, the, the one true type of guy. Um, and like, you know, when I was growing up in the eighties, it was, it was, you know, the, uh, the, the, the popular jock was the, the one true type of guy. Um, and like, I don't know, I don't even know what the one true type of guy is now. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I wonder if there's sort of a cycle of which type of guys in power. Like, it seems like, I, it does seem like jocks really did have much more social cachet in the 80s than they do now. And yeah, there were, you know, among among culture guys, there was some rebellion against that. But I, I don't know, just thinking back to movies that I've seen in the 80s and how people were portrayed, there, there really does seem to be a lot of angst conveyed about how much power I, I mean, just Chad's, but not actually Chad, just kind of being a dick had yeah. had in society. Yeah. What's the, uh, the, the meme guy who's the, the scumbag character. What was his name? Uh, uh scumbag, Steve, Steve. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think that's, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. They were more, the more Steve's than Chad's really. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So I don't know. I mean, but this also could just be a reflection on, on my childhood. Like, you know, when I, when I watched the never ending story as a kid and, and 
Bastion was flying a Felcor and like chasing the bullies into a dumpster. I was like, man, <laughs> I wish that were me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't know. And there, you know, there's these continual efforts going on to like, you know, we there's a, a large cultural current against like, you know, any type of guy who actually has like recognizably masculine characteristics. Um, yeah. Like, you know, people keep trying to invent like acceptable, acceptably male types of guy. Uh-huh. Um, like, you know, we're, we're going to rehabilitate masculinity this way and that way and so on. And like, you know, that's, you know, I mean, in the, you know, like in the, in the, in the naughties, we had, uh, you know, people trying to do that with fedoras and whatnot. And that, that went great. Um, yeah. <laughs> so why not Sean Valjean? He seems like a great potential huh. masculine archetype. I, I had a thread about this a while ago, just, just ranting actually about like, you want some kind of masculinity that's clearly non-toxic and, you know, like supportive and also really, flagrantly strong like i i think you go with somebody like him and i mean the other thing that's striking about him is that while he's clearly while he's clearly ripped he i mean he's a very (laughs) christian archetype too you know and he's he's not exactly a christ figure but something approaching that yeah he's he's kind of just the the i mean i think he's just like the heroic type of guy mostly well i'm I, I don't know. Hero has meant a lot of different things, I suppose. Um, yeah. But I mean, like he, I don't know. He, he maybe he starts out being redeemed, which is that a common feature of heroes? I usually think about heroes as like starting out and then, you know, learning, I mean, just classical heroes journey stuff like Luke Skywalker. Like he didn't start out as a thief and he didn't spend years of his life in prison. And, you know, he, he just like grew up on a desert planet out in the woods so to speak. And, and, and then he went out and, you know, he was tempted and he overcame the temptation and then he grew and he, he defeated some evil and saved everybody. Yeah. He's more, more the, the pure uh, kind of, you know, the, the, the unblemished paladin type hero. Whereas yeah. Solo has more in common with Jean Valjean. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I can see that. Although he's never quite as nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But like, okay, so what what does this guy have? He has he has strong moral instincts. He has indomitability. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's persecuted. Huh. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I think there's something here. And I I mean he's I I think he's like what. Maybe I just want there to be more Boy Scouts. I don't know. I, did, did you did you go through Scouts when you were a kid? A little bit. I, I think I only got as far as, as Cub Scouts and Weebelos, but uh, yeah. Okay. Not an Eagle Scout like you, I guess. Yeah. Well, first <laughs> first robot Eagle Scout. No, I don't know. Um, what what did you think about that? I one one other thing that's been on my mind a lot is that we have. I think there's been just in terms of our ethical framing, you know, big extended sense of our, but you know, in the nineties, there was a big push, especially I think to remove, I don't know, maybe moral components from schooling, possibly just as a consequence of, does, does that sound right to you? I mean, you're a bit older than I am and I think you probably remember this more clearly. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, I mean, yeah, like, we really struggle as a culture to separate morality from religion. So, you know, the, the attempt to, you know, separate uh, religion from schooling is, is going to you know, take some, some morality with it. Um, and sort of, I, I don't know. I, f- I feel like the, the, this, the culture of morality and schooling kind of went more toward like a compliance with naked power sort of thing. Oh Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which like, wow, that's kind of dire when I could think about it that way. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, if, if there's no sort of external moral code that maybe you need to stand up to no sense of what it is to be good and all you have left is the institution. Huh? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I guess it's, I mean, falling out of that conversation that I had the other day with, um, 
with Michael Kersey and, and with Chris Allen, I mean, I think one thing that's really lacking is, you know, some way to like some valuation of becoming good in society. And I mean, like, um, Penelope, hey, darling, would you mind feeding Penelope? Thank you. Um, sorry, I'll I mean, there's, there's definitely been a vacuum of that, but like it's been filled by, you know, performance of anti-racism. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's literally what has become, you know, that's how you be good. And that is taught in schools now. Yeah. And like, you know, and it's it's taught to teachers more aggressively than it's taught to students. Like, you know, I have a I have a buddy who's in education and like the just like the overbearingness of the the like I don't like very kind of like I just just dumb grifting type stuff in that area is is kind of amazing. Um yeah. This I mean maybe maybe this is I okay, we I, I started this out by saying like what the fuck are we doing? And I think that that's still true, but maybe it's something that I'm starting to grope toward now. Like just finding some way of, I mean, I think, I think the, the social justice grifting is genuinely fulfilling a need yeah. in the sense of people want to be good mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily know how to be good. And they and, want to be told how to be good and they want to have somebody who is credible, tell them what to do to be good. And then they want to do it. And then they want to feel that they are good. And like, you know, that is, you know, why wouldn't anybody want that? Yeah. And, and so like, I think, you know, okay, so maybe maybe we can't have, you know, religious instruction in school, right. which, you know, mixed bag in some ways. Uh, but but yeah, so well, it I, just did you ever run across my my story about uh, how like, you know, in a public school in, in like, you know, like my early uh, years, like, in, and this is like in the, the, the 70s and early 80s, like they, they led us through the Lord's Prayer, you know, along with the, the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, just they didn't, they didn't give a fuck. But yeah. Oh, wow. Was this in New York or? No, no. This was in rural Illinois. Uh, is where I was there. But, oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. The, yeah, that, that sounds the other, right. The other, yeah, the other part of the story was, was that uh, at some point, like I think in like like second grade, like after and then like the Pledge of Allegiance and the Lord's Prayer were both technically optional. Like you didn't have to participate. You just get looked at funny if you didn't. Yeah. And one time after not participating in the Lord's Prayer. I said to the teacher, uh, "Isn't that illegal?" And the the, te- oh, the teacher no. got yeah, the teacher got real kind of um, you know uh, upset and said, "I think they're going to change that law very soon now." Uh, so that was that was great. So I guess you know the First Amendment still seems to be there, but you know oh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I told my 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 grandmother on the the atheist side of my family about that story and like you know it, that definitely confirmed her opinion that i was i was superman so yeah. nice that that's interesting so what do you do you mind if i ask about your background that it's oh, something that's curious to me just, just talking with people like everybody is where they are now but in the before time especially older people i think most of us had some kind of religious upbringing not not necessarily on all sides but yeah, I mean, I was I was sent to Sunday school for a while and whatnot. Um, basically, on one, one side of my family was was like Catholic and like pretty you know serious seriously Catholic, um, and you know they were social justice Catholics too. Like my grandmother and my aunt were like, you know, basically. like in the Father Collins sense, or well, in the sense of the Catholic social justice movement. Like that's you know you know that's where the our term social justice even comes from. Yeah. Like, and like nobody knows this that this is this is like you know as a movement this is a thing that catholics invented um you know i guess because it would be kind of you know inconvenient to to know this um, yeah but yeah like my, my grandmother and my aunt were were like well my my grandmother was was a, a social justice catholic to the point of like being almost a communist and my my aunt was a social justice catholic to the point of being a communist like she had a subscription to the revolutionary worker at her um so so that you know odd bedfellows all over the place but uh but yeah and, and like i mean I, on that side of of the family is is I, I have an uncle who's like the single most christ-like christian i know 
like he just it comes off of him in, in waves um and he got that way by dropping acid with my dad and seeing god um and you know he just went off and became like you know a habitat for humanity house building christian um so you know that's cool yeah <laughs> i i completely i completely identify with that i mean that has not been my impulse after having taken acid but yeah me, me neither but like you know it it makes sense to me <laughs> yeah I, th- I mean there's there's some there's some amount of clarity that i think you reach sometimes yeah. sometimes yeah there's all kinds of things that can happen uh, <laughs> and and like that's you know being Catholic, that is the more populated side of my family. And the, on the less populated side of my family, it was, it was kind of like, you know, not super religious, like maybe tending toward, I, like, I don't know, vague, not super happy with, you know, Christian dominance of society, maybe, like maybe a little witchiness, like on that side of the family was the the grandmother who did, uh, you know, a, a nice tarot reading for me when I was little and, you know, taught me to, uh, when I have a little extra salt left over in the kitchen to, uh, throw it over my left shoulder with my right hand, uh, things like that. Well, that's awesome. So, so how did, how did you end up and no pressure to make yourself legible at all, <laughs> but, but, but how did you end up where you are today? I mean, I, I guess I see you as an esotericist or a mystic, or so, something along those lines, which is something I probably identify with, and not not a place I ended up inadvertently at all. But um, wow, um, I, I talked about uh, this somewhat with Curtsy too. Um, but Curtsy, Curtsy, I don't, I don't know if that's a T Z or a Z actually. Kurtz, it's C U R Z I. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I I know it's spelled, but it, but how is it pronounced? Is it is it you know more American? Is it more German? You know. Um, no idea. This is the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Go wild. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, like, okay. So I don't know. I started off being like, you know, the kind of little shit who will challenge the teacher about the Lord's prayer in, in class. Um, and that went into like, yeah, like, I, like I'm like as a teenager and whatnot, I'm reading a bunch of science fiction and whatnot. And like, you know, getting, getting into the, the kind of, you know, worldview that that goes with reading like lots of of Heinlein and 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 Niven and and Clark and and Asimov and uh oh I don't know Varley and and uh who's 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 the one with the real chalker there we go that that guy, oh man oh and Pierce Anthony wow that'll fuck you up. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh but so like you know so then like you know in in my by the time I'm I'm mid teens like I'm I'm the kind of person who would have been like a Reddit atheist, uh, if Reddit had been, you know, mm-hmm. you know, anything but like, you know, not even a twinkle in somebody's eye yet. Um, yeah. Very, very like, you know, oh, you know, all this religion stuff is so stupid. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and then I read, uh, Philip K. Dick's book, Ubik. And for some fucking reason that unzipped my brain and zipped it back up again, different. Uh, and like, I, I don't know the, you know, the world seemed larger and stranger to me after that. And I've, I've reread it since. And like, I have no idea why it did that. Like, it was just like the particular chemistry of it with my, my little brain at that time, I suppose. Um, yeah. But, uh, and you know, after that, like I wound up uh, like, and I had actually already been hanging around with, uh, through BBSs that I got onto um, with like people who were fucking, discordians and whatnot like i didn't i didn't know that was what they were but like you know they're like you know <laughs> i went to the workplace of uh a guy you can actually still find uh referenced in like wikipedia articles on the cult of the dead cow um his handle was, oh wow yeah his handle was obscure images he was making a zine called fenord um and i was like wow what's a fenord i don't know what a fenord is um, oh a what uh, fenord. sorry I, I didn't hear that. I just felt vaguely uncomfortable with whatever. <laughs> Fenord, 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 Fenord. <laughs> ah. <laughs> but, but yeah. So, so like I, I went with, with, you know, him and, and my buddy cabbage and, and whatnot to his workplace to like steal uh, use of their photocopiers to make his, his zine. Um, that was, you know, good, That's excellent. good times. And this is like, you know, I had no idea what the fuck a Robert Anton Wilson was or anything at this point. Like, you know, n- none of them would fucking tell me what was going on because they were jerks. But yeah, yeah. Um, maybe that's good, though. I don't know. I, I think there's 
I think there's a way of learning things where somebody just tells you, and maybe that doesn't stick in the same way that things stick when you just kind of come upon them yourself when you're ready. And yeah, and the door is you, you just like, like somebody leading in, you into a room versus someone forgets to close the door all the way and you get curious and you just move into the room. And I, I think yeah. maybe the second it's, is it's a very Montessori education way of looking at it. I think. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So then like with that kind of like grounding, like I go off to, to college for a while for you know, like, you know, as long as that lasted and like, I'm, you know, running around with these, you know, little uh, occultist types and, and whatnot, like uh, I don't know, being, vaguely witchy and and so on like hanging out with people who also hang out with people who are like like you know really for real vampires like you know okay well yeah i think i'm trying to remember if that guy went by anton or damien because or damon it's always one of those damon (laughs) yeah it's always fucking damon (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah but i don't know and and like you know, getting onto like alt magic with a K on Usenet because, you know, then, I, you know, once I was at college, I was on the internet and yeah. compiled the first HTTPD uh, at my school. That was, that was fun. Um, Do you, so one thing, as you're telling me this story, it, it seems like it's the sort of thing that's maybe specific to a time, you know, like finding your way into the early internet and, and onto BBSs and, you know, coming across this very, specific group of sci-fi writers that I, I mean, they, a lot of those influenced me too. I, I sort of wonder if that's something that's still available to people. I mean, I, I know it's around on the internet, but the internet feels like a very different place than it used to be. And, yeah, and like far less steeped in that kind of subcultural knowledge. Yeah. It, it's, you know, things are, are much larger and more fragmented. Like I, like I feel like the particular tension between alt magic and alt pagan uh on, on usenet was like key to my development in some way and like in a way that doesn't seem in any way available anymore um you know it's kind of kind of it kind of makes me sad um but yeah i don't know i'm sure people have their their own uh you know unique developmental opportunities available in the the current landscape yeah so another thing that I'm thinking about after cultists there are. Oh yeah. Okay. That's, I'm going to think about that. I don't know too much about the Minecraft scene, but that does seem like a space where it's pretty easy to create your own world and, and maybe invite your friends and just get into that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I think, you know, actually the, the, I wonder how much spirit of rivalry is, is available because like, you know, alt pagan and alt magic was was you know it was definitely a a a rivalry kind of situation. Like we 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 had like related but like really significantly different worldviews, and there was always kind of a, a a sense that like you know I don't know we were we were trying to do our stuff better than those people over there. Um, yeah, seems that seems a little attenuated these days. Like there's there's kind of. I don't know like there's there's you know there's in groups but like they seem to largely be inwardly facing like to the to the extent that they have enemies they're distant enemies that they don't have a lot of contact with like and actively like disdain and avoid contact with yeah hmm hmm and that, that it sounds like what existed then was more a spirit of like friendly competition yeah, or yeah. even like maybe not even mostly friendly, but like yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of collegial. Like, like obviously these people are dumb assholes, but like there are <laughs> souls, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, maybe even, maybe even the internet felt like a much smaller place back then. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, it really was. So I hope it felt that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. I mean, people. I remember people used to make maps of it, and yeah. you you could like create a directory, and that was that was the internet. And okay, sure. So suddenly I have to put the directory on the internet. That but, was that was Gopher. Yeah. yeah, 
Oh, <laughs> go for it. That was, that was the first internet that I was exposed to when I was maybe six or seven or eight, something like that. My, uh, yeah. I, I could barely read and my, my folks had a, a gopher account and then I, you know, logged in and uh, I was lucky. Yeah. I, I wasn't quite sure what I was getting into. I, I remember wanting to read about stars and I, I had learned about the existence of different types and colors of stars. And I was really excited about that. Like, and I have a star just dropped. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but I don't know, it's sort of, sort of that it doesn't quite, I don't feel magic so much anymore. You know, like you could, yeah. the internet, and maybe it's just the coalescing of everything into just a, a much smaller number of sites that have more people, but it, everything gets promulgated so quickly that there's not quite as much exploring that you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. God, I feel old. So, okay. So, so one thing, one thing that you mentioned was, um, you know, alt magic, alt pagan. A thing that's been on my mind a lot lately is this idea of different, different types of ethics. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you, we're, we're going Keegan six now, are we? Are we? Yeah. Uh, at least. So, so one thing that has occurred to me lately is I think, you know, regardless of where I am now, I, I observed a pretty Christian flavor of ethic at mm-hmm. some point in my childhood. And I'm still pretty attached to it, even, even without the, you know, specific explicit belief structures of Christianity. And yeah. I'm curious where you ended up and and whatever your ethic is at any point in time, you know, if you feel comfortable enough to make that explicit, like what, what kind of genealogy you have? I mean, you know, I, I definitely came up with, you know, something, you know, vaguely Christian inflected, um, like, Hmm. I mean, you've definitely influenced me there, um, with the, just the, the whole thing of like feeling that it's appropriate to have the, the, the primacy of taking care of your people, like, that that is a a good and right thing to you know like put front and center yeah um, like i don't know i i kind of i don't know my my ethical landscape is is very i don't know complex and confused for the the same reasons that we were talking about with the different uh you know uh, perspectives and whatnot. Like, you know, I, I generally feel that like, I do, I, I, I like it when people have options and freedom. Like that's like, that's always been like important to me. Um, and you know, but then I'm, I'm seeing ways in which, you know, freedom is in a lot of ways where Moloch lives. Um, like, Freedom literally generates coordination problems that are like insurmountable as long as freedom exists. Um, So like, that's a bitch. Um, Yeah. And like, you know, I, I generally like, I, I feel like people should like get to enjoy their lives and, and not suffer. Um, But, you know, then I see the ways in, in which like growth and development is painful. Um, and that like, you know, people will, if left to their own devices, you know, seek a degree of development and then stop because like, okay, like I've got enough. And like, if nothing painful happens to like knock them out of the local maximum that they found, they'll, they'll often just hang out there, you know, but maybe that's fine. I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. There's, um. I mean, falling back to science fiction, there's in in Ursula K. Gwyn's, uh what what did she call her her universe of the um, the Ecumen something? Yeah, the Ecumen. So there, there's that very old planet, the name of which escapes me now, and one Haim. of her, yeah, Haim, Haim, and you know, it's this ancient world with God knows how many millennia of history and. She's discussing the the growth of one child who grows up there, and you know they they don't go out of their way to tell people on Haim this is what the universe is like, this is where you are in the universe. It's it's just as I remember it, just this sort of 
community of relatively insular people and occasionally people want to know more and then they you know they take them away to a school and they let them learn whatever they like but the the default is something that is maybe a little bit more comfortable or like a little stage three perhaps and i don't know I, i guess one thing that's been on my mind a lot is i you know i i have i'm pretty strong on the freedom front too i mean i i I have definitely benefited from being able to just explore lots of spaces in my life and see what it's like to be different kinds of people. And, and I've taken away a lot from that, but I also recognize that a lot of people aren't motivated to do that and will tend to just fall into some area and not be, I don't know, compulsively reflective about it. And so, uh, I don't know, maybe a lot of what I'm thinking about is just trying to cultivate a society in which you don't have to be stuck at that stage and you can go and explore other things if you want to, but also just having a really good default for, for most people to fall into like a a solid template for here's a way to have a good life. You don't have to think about it too hard. You can live in this way. And I wonder, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's what's missing in a lot of ways and i think it would be a good project to try and figure out how to create that kind of a template without being oppressive and maybe there's just no way to do that in which case i don't know maybe we're fucked but (laughs) yeah i mean you know you don't know until you try though so yeah yeah i mean that that sounds good to me that sounds like you know kind of i mean it, it reminds me of my experiments with the the rawlsian veil of ignorance where like you know i it always seems to me that like people, people like read Rawls and like decide like, Oh, you know, this, this ethical principle, the veil of ignorance means that we need to have a society where everybody is perfectly equal. I'm like, no, I, I, I don't think it means that at all. It just means that the baseline needs to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, man, I, I don't, hate Rawls enthusiasts, but I wish they would think about it a little harder. I guess, you know, I, I don't know. I, I've managed to, to not like, uh, have, have a lot of, uh, Rawls enthusiast run-ins or, or anything, but like, yeah, it, it I guess, I don't know. I, I did some, some poll that was like trying to explore that. And like, like a lot of, a lot of people seem to, to, you know, go for the, the, the society where like, everything is, is, you know, equitable uh, in preference to the one where like everything is at least okay, but sometimes really good. Um, I'm like, that makes no sense to me, but like, yeah. Yeah. Masculine versus feminine decision-making. Tests yeah. The oh no. I was afraid yeah. someone was going to mention that. <laughs> what have you summoned Dell? Yeah. But that one, I mean, that, that, you know, definitely went similarly or like, you know, Apparently, you know, feminine decision making favors equity over good results. <laughs> like it's better to have things suck and be equal than like, you know, have them be une- unequally good. I'm like, wow. Um, huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so Moon was talking to me about that afterward. And I, I think, I mean, she hadn't taken a ton of economics classes. And so I think she didn't have this sort of uh you know, borderline autistic view of how to maximize, (laughs) maximize outcomes. And her, her response was to take all the feminine choices as, as they were displayed. And the way that she talked about it was that her framework for thinking about it had a lot to do with being in this large family of, Uh you know, varyingly capable kids, many of whom had, had had very difficult times before they were adopted. And, if if there existed inequality, they would often just lose their shit. Okay. And so she was thinking about how can I maintain peace in the society of people who are not necessarily particularly rational in the way that maybe we've been trained to be yeah. for better or for worse. And what what kind of a social order can I actually generate here? So I, I think that's not a bad example. Like how yeah. you know, maybe maybe we just have to make some sacrifice where we're all worse off because we're being held hostage by people who <laughs> people what? who won't let themselves have nice things. <laughs> and, and I, I don't say that to blame them, you know, yeah, I, no. I mean a little bit, but like, you know, if that's. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, like, you know, 
I, I do try to to go with that, you know, radical idea that everybody is doing like the best they can in their their situation. Um, <clears throat> that like, you know, if I had had the the same kind of experiences that they had had, like maybe I would think very similarly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it feels like it feels like there's been I there's been some kind of a failure of narrative where I, I don't, I don't quite know. There's one other thing that's been on my mind a lot lately is that, that there was a discussion in, I want to say either the age of Napoleon, I think the age of Napoleon in the, the last Will and Ariel Durant book where he's talking about the church and religion in England in the early 19th, late 18th century. And he talks about how pretty much nobody in the elite really was openly theistic. I mean, maybe there were deists, but that was it. But they all went to church on Sunday and everybody just understood that they were putting forth an example of how to live and they were being emulated and they needed to sort of at least superficially live this kind of life because if they didn't, you know, they were undermining some of the structures that were holding England together as, as a society and I'm not necessarily just thinking about religion here, but maybe there was this change in the United States in, I don't know, say the 60s or 70s when suddenly elites were just not doing that anymore. Some some equivalent of that, some kind of like making a show of going to church on Sundays. Yeah. And I mean, I, and, think that, I think that happened on a number of levels where like, you know, people stopped you know, stop maintaining the fence. Um, like, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I think the finance industry is a, a, a large, uh, you know, epicenter of that. Um, oh, really? Yeah, where, where like, you know, I, where a, a measure of restraint may have been previously demonstrated um, in like, you know, just, just, how much we're going to skim off as it passes through our hands uh, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, people, you know, you know, with, with old wisdom about, you know, like the, just how bad shit can get when like, you know, people get really upset with you. Um, yeah. Like, you know, those, them, you know, fading out in favor of, you know, people who have grown up in, you know, a, a society where the, the rule of law has always been reliable. Um, and like, anything that's legal for you to do is okay for you to do. Um, and so they're like, well, like instead of, instead of taking this amount, I could take this other amount and there's, you know, there's nothing physically stopping me from doing that. So, well, I guess I should, why, why not? It's, it's a sucker move not to. Um, and you know, that kind of, kind of accelerating. And I, and I, like, I feel like in, in, you know, culture and like, I don't know, our, our various versions of, of, you know, post-religion religion, um, you know, yeah, there's been something similar where like, uh, <clears throat> I don't know where, the, where the, 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 the Chads and Stacey's, you know, no longer feel any need to like abide by the, the, the sorts of, of restrictions that they actually kind of need everybody to abide by uh, in order to, you know, have a society that supports them in their Chad and Staciness. Um, yeah, there was, and, and you might, you might have, I mean, again, firsthand knowledge of this, but I remember somebody talking about how it was very rare before the eighties in particular for young people to have high income and something that like yuppies maybe didn't really exist in, in large numbers. And then something happened with corporate employment in the eighties. I mean, I guess there was more outsourcing. There was a great degree of deregulation and, you know, maybe some of these older monopolies and, and production methods started to break down. And suddenly it was relatively easy to be a young person who had graduated from college, you know, like some kind of a somewhat prestigious program and move to the city and start making what, you know, the equivalent now probably to a lesser extent, even would, would just be tech bucks. You know, yeah. like, hey, I'm in my mid twenties. Suddenly, I'm fabulously rich or close enough to it, and fabulously I, rich as far as the people back home are concerned. Yeah, yeah, 
And I, I guess like people just weren't able to do that before. There were sort of seniority rules that applied or something like yeah. that. But but then, you know, in the eighties like, there was a lot of, of of like, you know, un unspoken structure to like, you know, what sort of expectations you were supposed to have at at, at you know this point and that point. Um, and like a lot of the, a lot of that got dismantled in the name of like rationality and equity, where it was like, 